From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Residents of Jackson, Mississippi, suffering without running water, spoke out this week at a national town hall sponsored by the Poor People's Campaign. As of right now, I feel like my right has been violated and taken away from me because the simple fact of it is I can't even bathe, brush my teeth, wash my hair, do the things that us people, human people, are supposed to do. We feel attacked. We feel attacked and we feel as though this is some sort of coordinated effort to ruin our city. The failed infrastructure of the capital of Mississippi is a long-standing problem rooted in the history of racism in the state, as well as in the lack of national investment in infrastructure that provides water as a human right. When they tried to take our airport, there was an effort to take over our school district, right? And we were able to stop that. And now there's an effort to take over our water. None of this is coincidental. We've said free the land, clean the water, and make it public. All that coming up on the show. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital for September 16th, 2022. I'm Esther Averam, and for this hour, we'll hear the voices of attendees at a virtual town hall held September 12th by the Poor People's Campaign. The latest water crisis in Jackson began at the end of August when heavy rains led to an overflow of the Pearl River and flooding that disabled a water treatment plant, leaving many residents with either no water or just a trickle from the tap. But even before that, Jackson's 150,000 residents had been under a boil water notice for several weeks, and back in February, freezing temperatures disabled the water treatment system. As residents explain, today's crisis is decades in the making. Our coverage of the town hall begins with the Reverend William Barber, co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign. We welcome you tonight, as you see on the graphics, the Poor People's Campaign, Mississippi Mall Monday, sponsored by Repairs of the Breach, the Mississippi Poor People's Campaign, the National Poor People's Campaign at Conroe Center, and Roland Martin Unfiltered. And we're all coming together on tonight and for this nationwide speak out against the Jackson water crisis so that you get the truth, the truth from the people who have seen it, who have lived it for years, who've been there on the ground and who are really the moral voices and the moral heroes of our time. And also from the mayor who's been standing with the people, the people's mayor, a nonpartisan people's mayor. Clean water is a human right. We're calling for a fix that should have been done years and years ago to be done now and for the fix to be done and not the fix to be in. Not trying to fix the narrative, blame the people, blame the mayor, but to fix the problem in Jackson. I want to open tonight very simply because I want to get to these families. There is a prescription that I think brothers and sisters from Jackson and all over the world and mayor and Roland and Liz that is so befitting Danielle at this moment. I was reminded of it riding down the road to D.C. Second Kings, chapter 2. The people of the city said to Elisha, you know, Elisha was a preacher. He said, look, our Lord, this town is well situated. Right, Jackson? Well situated. A hub of the south. As you can see, but 
there's a problem. The water is bad. Elisha says, bring me a new bowl. In other words, stop doing the same old stuff, the same old blame, the same old denying. He said, and put some salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it. Modern day time, the salt might be the Federal Corps of Engineers rather than trying to blame the people. Blame an action has to be taken. He threw the salt in and he said to the water, This is what the Lord says I have healed this water. So, poison water is immoral, poisoning people's water is sin, it's sinful, it's wrong, it's unrighteous. And those of you who are working and fighting to have the water fixed, you're on the side of righteousness, on the side of morality. He says, I have healed this water. Never again. That's what we want to hear. That's what the mayor's working for. That's what these families want. They want it fixed so that never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. Verse 22 says, and the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word that Elisha has spoken. That text tells us water doesn't get clean by itself. It only gets clean when there is a decision that it is immoral to leave communities with dirty water. It would not be allowed if it was in Marlego. It would not be allowed if it was in in the in the heart of the of Washington D.C. It should not be allowed in the city that holds the capital of Mississippi. And now the crisis hurts everybody. You'll see tonight black people and white people, young and old and male and female, standing together saying, "We are the citizens," and this doesn't have to be. That text reminds us that water is only poison and unpure when actions are not taken to keep it clean. It doesn't have to be this way. Mayor and the citizens of members of that family, they have a plan. Mississippi is not in lack of money, nor the federal government to fix it. What we have had is a lack of of political action and moral consciousness. And that must change because, as Elisha said, what all of us should hope, not only in Jackson, but in Flint or wherever it is, is when it comes to dirty, poisonous water that poisons people and poisons the land, we all should be fighting for this to have this to be said. Never again. Never again. Ms. Danielle Holmes will introduce all of the families, and the families will testify from their own space in their own place. Thank you all so much. My name is Danielle Holmes. I'm a national social justice organizer for the Bears of the Breach and work with the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for more revival. And I want to just start off by introducing impacted speakers tonight, first starting with my sister, amazing sister, Rakia Lumumba, who will lay some foundation on why we're here tonight, as well as share her own impacted story. Rakia. I'm Rakia Lomoba. 
I'm a longtime resident of Jackson, Mississippi, and a member of the People's Advocacy Institute, as well as the Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition. Today's water crisis has been decades in the making, and I know I don't have a lot of time, but my story is the story of Jackson, the story of Black residents, of poor residents, of residents who, since 1970, saw both a significant drop in federal funding as well as intentional state divestment in Jackson's growing black population, all in an effort to expedite white flight to avoid school integration. This is where it started, right? It also started from a willful neglect, an understanding of the importance of infrastructure in the first place. When we talk about a budget, you'll often hear my brother Shokwe and Harley Moomba, Mayor Moomba, talk about a budget as a moral document. Well, it is. And if we care about the wellness of our people, then we care about all of the ways that we stay well, including having clean water. In order to do that, we have to build our pipes. So this is what we've been experiencing in Jackson. Jackson has had plans in place. There's a narrative out there that there are no plans. There's a narrative that residents are just sitting on their butt or black leadership is just sitting on their butt. But the reality is that Jackson has had plans in place for its water system since 1997. Even in 2013, residents came out in droves and voted to tax themselves an additional 1%, y'all. We voted to tax ourselves an additional 1%, of which all that money would go towards our water infrastructure issues. And that little bit of money that we earn from that 1%, right, is still controlled by the state and is only a fraction of what the billions of dollars that we need to actually fix the problems of our water infrastructure, which the state has failed to do. You know, we talk about some of the most recent things that we've done. Even as early as 2020, there was legislation introduced to help not only help Jackson's water infrastructure, but also many rural communities in Mississippi that are experiencing the same water woes. And in 2020, state legislators passed this legislation, but the governor vetoed that. Governor Tate Reese vetoed that legislation depriving both Jackson and rural communities of the funds needed to actually fix our water infrastructure. So, you know, to not take up too much time, because there's so many more people that I want to hear from on this call, who've been doing this work, who've been experiencing the pain and the suffering of not having water, not to be able to brush your teeth easily, not being able to take baths at different times, not being able to take showers, um, always having to boil your water. Uh, I remember as a child having to boil water. This is how long we've had this problem, and it's only gotten worse. So not only have Jackson leadership and the people of Jackson been patient, we've been self-sufficient. We have always acted responsibly to take care of our water needs. But it's very hard, y'all, to maintain a crumbling plant with no relief. We did not cause this problem, but we have been the only ones working to fix it, and it is a valuable time for our state to do its part. You know, so I just thank, I thank everyone for pushing and all of the water that has been sent our way, whether it's because a person in Arkansas or as far as Tennessee got in a car and filled their car up with water and dropped off 20, 30 cases to us, or whether someone got together with their community and sent an 18-wheeler down the water. We so thank you for your efforts, and we say, free the land. Thank you. Free the land, clean the water. Can we say it like that? Free That's the land. right. Free the land. Free the, the water. Free the water. In the water. This is something that should be done and should have been done a long time ago. 
and it's important that you continue to lift this narrative, as you said, while the eyes of the nation. And you know, everybody that's listening, we should all say, I'm Jackson. Because not only can it happen here, it's happening other places, they just don't have the spotlight on them. And so we should see this and say never again and stand with the citizens of Jackson. Next on the list. Danica Samuel. Hey, how y'all doing? I'm, I'm Danica Samuel. I'm a mother of six kids. I have been living in a poorest area of Jackson, Mississippi. My family life has been changing and they struggle to serve in a constant condition of no water, of simple as unclean water while living in property. I never thought in my lifetime that I would have to constantly flush, get water, and told me buckets to flush water. And also, I have to dip this water out of a bucket to take a bath to cook. And constantly have to tell my youngest kids, please don't drink that. They can't wash their face. They can't brush their teeth. And I don't want people to feel like that. I'm just out here saying this. This is my everyday life, each and every day with six kids. And it is very hard. And it's a struggle over and over and over and over again. And I might cry, but I feel like it can't get no better, no worse. It has to get better. And I thank Miss Danielle Holmes. Not only do I boil water for some of my kids whatever, each and every day at 8.30, I make it to the site. At 9 to 7, I hit the streets with Poor People Campaign Organization each and every day and pass out water through my whole entire city to help ones who are just like me. And yes, I am the poor community. I said a low-income community. And it's hard. Me and six kids each and every day. But I thank Lamomo Raquel for giving me the opportunity to help myself and my kids and Mississippians. And just for me to and also give me strength to keep going each and every day. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how frustrated I get, I still have to do this because this is unfair to Mississippians. This is unfair to me to have unclean water. We need clean water to survive, to live. And this just not no story. This is my life story each and every day. And I have to constantly, constantly pray and remind myself and look my kids in their eyes and see what they mean to me. My mayor is only one person. I was born in 1986. It's been like that ever since I was little. And I am 36 mm. years old of age right now. The only one person. It's been messed up way before. Mama. And he do the best he can. And my mayor just don't sit in no office. He be out there on the ground with us. He help us distribute that water. We can call him and he'll come out on the ground. We never, ever, Jackson, never had no mayor to come out on the ground and help us like Lamuba do. And I thank him. I thank Raquel. And my heart goes out to Miss Danielle Holmes. And I thank you, sister. And Poor People Campaign Organization is the best thing that ever happened to me. It also gives me... The strength and the motivation that I can do it. That I am somebody. 
Okay, my sister, you are you are a, a modern day Elisha. Your words are like salt. We're gonna get this water healed, not just for Jackson, but for all people. Sometimes moments come like this, but they are the beginnings of the transformation. And voices like yours are the most powerful. I think you hear that emergency siren on my computer. It's always it's amazing to me that as you were speaking, that siren started ringing because we do have a moral emergency. We got a water emergency, we got a political emergency, we got to free the land and clean the water. Don't you give up, don't you back up. Next family. Next family is Mr. Chris Ellis. Hi, my name is Chris Ellis. Uh, my wife, Stephanie, and I moved to Jackson a little over four years ago after we just fell in love with the city. And we knew that the city had infrastructure issues before we moved in. In fact, I was made very well aware of it by many uh, friends and coworkers when I said that we planned to, to move and buy a home in Jackson. And uh, we were advised, you may want to look in other areas. No, no, we love Jackson. I'll tell you why. As we were walking through a neighborhood, the neighborhood that we bought our home in, there was a huge pothole in the middle of the road. All the neighbors said, oh, that thing's been there forever. What the neighbors did was they put a big Christmas tree in there and they decorated it for Christmas. And what my wife and I saw in that was that we found a city full of people who can find joy in sorrow, a city full of people who can look at the situations around them and say, let's find joy where we're at right now, but let's also claw our ways out of it, right? So in that time, in the time since we moved here, we've seen a lot of those issues get resolved. We've seen roads be repaved. We know that the city's invested in doing this. We know that the city has put a plan in place to get the water to get the water issues taken care of. You know, we've been told by the media, well, there's no plan in the city of Jackson. And they said, well, actually, here's this five-year plan that was already sent out. Oh, okay, well, it's only five years out. And we watch to see those goalposts. We watch those goalposts move, right? So suddenly it's, oh, well, it's only a five-year plan, and somehow that's not good enough. So it's been very frustrating for us to see while we are having to buy water and bring it in from out of the area. We have had Kentwood water delivered to us uh, for several months now uh, after receiving these notices for a long time that says your water has lead and copper in it that may not be safe to consume. And, you know, we're thinking about ourselves bathing in this. We're thinking about babies being bathed in this. And, and, and say that uh, one more time. Say say, what did you say? I want to hear that. You said what kind of mineral? Uh, we've been getting these notices. Now, I grabbed this from just a pile of them that I had. This one happens to be from November of 2021. Notices that say that there's lead and copper uh, because the uh, water quality parameters do not meet minimum values and that there has not been corrosion control properly installed. And I, all I can think about is, first of all, my wife and I, we want to we want to start growing our family. I know I don't want to be bathing my babies in this. I'm thinking about people like Danica, who's already said she's got six babies. She's bathing her babies in this or having to find a different way to, to take care of just keeping her babies clean. And I know that the state has the resources and I know that the city has the plan and has the gumption to get it done. So what I get really bent out of shape about is where is the disconnect? Where is where is this level of distrust coming from that is keeping the funds that are needed uh, to, to implement these plans, to get them put in place? Uh, I've seen what happens when the city has resources to fix the issues in front of it. That pothole that made us move here because there's a Christmas tree in it, that pothole's been filled. All the big roads around us have been repaved. We know that when the city has resources, they get stuff done. Uh, and I know that there's a plan out there to get the water treatment plants fixed and to get our, and to get our water system under control. My wife and I have been very, very fortunate 
uh, that uh, we've been able to get water delivered, uh, that we have been able to, to go out and buy the water that we need. But we know uh, that there are those, uh, that there are neighbors of ours who, who aren't as lucky as we are. And I worry every day and every night about how those folks are, are going about their, their day-to-day lives, having to deal with this water problem, when I know that our city has a plan to implement it, and I know that our state has the resources to help us fix it. But for some reason, it's taken this. It's taken all the media attention to even get our governor to have a single press conference with the mayor. We can't put aside our pettiness long enough to do more than that. We have to do better. We have to do better. That was Jackson, Mississippi resident Chris Ellis, and before him, Danika Samuel and Rukia Lamumba speaking out at a national town hall on the water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. This is On the Ground. I'm Esther Averam. Stay with us. Somebody's hurting our people, and it's gone on far too long, and we won't be silent anymore well there's a crisis in jackson and it's gone on for too long yes it's gone on for too long well there's a crisis in jackson and it's gone on for too long and we won't be silent anymore. Next speaker we have is Brooke Floyd. My children attend the local school district, JPS. My family loves this city and we are committed to staying here. This is our home. As a mother of two young children and a longtime educator, I know all too well the strain Jackson's water crisis and continuing water and sewer issues has put on all of our families. The added stress of having to boil water just to cook and wash dishes and the added cost of having to purchase drinking water for our family. For some of us, those costs combined with added plumbing costs due to the city's aging infrastructure have been in the thousands. The stress of worrying if the water is safe while pregnant and during our children's developmental years can be overwhelming. The closing of our schools due to water and sewer issues puts even more of a burden on our already overwhelmed family. Our city, like others in this state, have been denied support for years for our aging infrastructure, and we know why. We deserve clean water, a basic human right. We have been denied this for far too long. All we are asking is for the state to do what is right and support all of its citizens. We are the capital city. We deserve clean water, not privatized water. Our water supported and repaired by our state. We are Jacksonians. We are Mississippians. We demand the state and the federal government fix our aging infrastructure and restore clean water to the residents of Jackson, Mississippi. Thank you. Thank you for putting in the room that you're just asking for a basic human right. There's not some extra. It's not people begging for something. It's basic. And thank you for putting in the room we need it to be fixed by the places where we pay our taxes to and not privatize. Because when you privatize water, 
you know what happens? The same political people that kept it from being fixed then turn around and get paid to fix it. Next speaker. Yes, next speaker up is Penelope Barnes. Hello. Hello, my name is Penelope Barnes. I'm a low-wage worker. I am formerly incarcerated, and I'm from Mississippi. I am current. I currently live in Jackson, Mississippi, and I've been here for two years, right out of incarceration. I'm affected by the water crisis here in Mississippi, in Jackson, because water is a human right. Clean water is a human right, and as of right now, I feel like my right has been violated and taken away from me because the simple fact of it is I can't even bathe, brush my teeth, wash my hair, do the things that us people, people, human people are supposed to do. It's like the people that care for us is trying, but then you've got people that's trying to push it all away. The way this has affected me so much is it's affected my mental and my physical health. I suffer from PTSD, bipolar, and some other things, but I also am a heart patient. I have a pacemaker, and I'm not supposed to be under any unnecessary stress, but right now I'm under the unnecessary stress because I'm having to wonder where my water's coming from because I can't get it out the tap. I can't do normal things out of the tap water that we are supposed to have. It's our human right. Clean water is a human right. And it's like I said earlier, it's been taken away from us. And it shouldn't be. It should be allowed to be out of our faucets where we're allowed to flush our toilets right, wash our hair, take care of our children. And we're not allowed to do that right now. We're having to depend on a bottle of water. And that's if you can get it. I have no transportation, so I'm having to depend on people to deliver it to me. Thanks to Ms. Danielle Holmes and the people that's done it, like the Rapid Response, the Mississippi Poor People's Campaign, the people on the grounds, they've helped us so much by being able to bring it to us. Like I said, I just want my human right. Clean water. That's all. We will not be silent anymore. Thank you, Penelope. You're exactly right. And you know, this issue, you bring another issue to the table. What does it say when you can be incarcerated and get clean water and then come out of incarceration and can't get clean water? In fact, that's another form of incarceration. Another form of being incarcerated. Because now you're being incarcerated from a basic, fundamental human right. But that's why we can't be silent. That's why we can't stand down. That's why the whole nation and all of us have to stand up. This must be the moment that all of us say, never again. And I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> but uh, I'm sitting here thinking of some things I'm going to say to the mayor. I'm going to say them offline. Because there's some things that people who have blocked, but they don't go ahead and fix this, that block this, you know, should have to face. And you should not have government policies by the state that cause you to get sicker, cause you to get worse, or potentially cause you to die. That is not 
equal protection under the law. I think we have one more family, Danielle. Yes, we have Mr. Curtis Nichols. Good evening, Reverend Barber, Mayor Lamumba, Danielle, Rakia, everyone uh, on this call, all the different organizations. I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm actually on a film set, so please forgive me if people walk in on me. I just want to speak on behalf of the entertainers in Jackson, Mississippi, and business owners. A friend of mine, good friend of mine, started his coffee shop right on the day of the uh, pumps collapsing. This is an issue that has been going on for a very long time. I remember when I first came to Mississippi in 1999, the mayor may not know this, but his father represented me. I came to Mississippi as an artist in residence teaching art, and there was an individual in Texas that murdered a police officer, and his name was similar to mine, and so his dad had to come to my rescue. I was in jail for three months before he realized that the other guy's name wasn't even spelled the same as mine. And his dad uh, represented me pro bono and took care of that for me. When I moved back to Mississippi about 10 years ago, it was because of the people of Jackson, Mississippi that drew me there. I had more resources in Philadelphia and New York. However, uh, I didn't have the human resource of Jackson, Mississippi. And since being there, what I've seen is some form of sabotage. I've spoken to many business owners where they have been told that if they would have it better had they moved outside of the city of Jackson, if they moved to Richmond. Costco's, one of the manager of Costco's told me that three years before they moved to Mississippi, they were told to stay away from Jackson that they would have it better if they move into Madison or Flowood or Richmond and, and places like that. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of, it's a different virus hitting every other month. And water is something that's needed for people to stay clean, stay healthy, and fight off these diseases. And we feel attacked. We feel attacked and we feel as though this is, some sort of coordinated effort to ruin our city. When this happened, it was nothing for me to shut down everything that I was doing and come and help out in any way possible. You know, run forklifts, uh, deliver water to businesses, deliver waters to homes, uh, take it door to door, however I needed to do it. I wanted to unite with as many organizations as possible to make sure that we all have what we need and that we know that we care for each other. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. This is On the Ground's coverage of the National Town Hall on the Jackson Water Crisis sponsored by the Poor People's Campaign. Up next, the mayor of Jackson, Chokwe Antar Lumumba, is interviewed by journalist Roland Martin. Is there a way for the federal government to bypass the federal government and send the money, excuse me, bypass the state government and send the resources directly to the cities? Well, well, let me say this. When the state receives money, uh, you know, out of these infrastructure acts, there's something called a state utilization plan uh, where they have to submit their utilization plan to the federal government and get approval for how it is going to be used. Uh, and so what we have to do is you know, make certain that there are sufficient guardrails 
around if the state does not have a plan that addresses cities like Jackson, that addresses our serious needs, then we do need the federal government to step in and deny it all. That if you're not going to treat us with equity, if you're not going to have equal protection, uh, the, the legal phrase, the legal term that, that Bishop Barber raised, then we're going to deny funding to you. Now, there are competitive funds that the city of Jackson can go after and have gone after. A good portion of those federal funds, the portal opens up in October, right? Uh, we've gone after SRF loans, which are federal funds, right? Often the state makes this, this a narrative around why should we help Jackson? First and foremost, let's be very clear. It isn't the state's money to begin with. This is federal dollars that have been sent through the state of Mississippi with cities like Jackson in mind. And so, you know, I have to lift up not only have we commissioned a plan that was paid for by Soul Engineering, by AJA Engineering, and by Neil Schaefer Engineering collaboratively to produce a capital improvement plan that we have relied and created various documents that have been shared with our delegation, that have been shared with the governor, that have been shared with our congressional uh, delegation, that emphasize the engineered estimates of what we need to do and a prioritized list of what has to happen. I have to lift up that my predecessors did the same thing. Whether we agreed on everything, I have to give them credit where it is due. Tony Yarber, who was immediately before me, lifted up issues with the water. My father lifted up issues with the water and, and, and our need to address this. I'm sure Mayor Frank Melton, who's no longer with us, did as well. But I have been able to confirm that Mayor Harvey Johnson has done it, right? And it even predates, it even predates black leadership. It goes to a point where, where our city has begun to turn the corner of what the demographic represents. And so those are the things that, that we need our people to understand and know. Now, when it comes to this question of a plan, not only have we submitted a plan, but here's the other key conversation. Plans are an intended path forward, right? Or a suggested path forward. Sometimes there are disagreements, i.e. immigration plans, i.e. health care plans and, and, and the like every presidential candidate has, right? And then they debate whether they, they agree with it or disagree with it. The problem that I have is not only the failure to recognize that we have had plans, but it is the failure to communicate around them, period. To say, well, maybe you need to include this. Maybe we need to see a little more of this, or maybe the timelines or the phases in which we do this would help us around this. What it simply means is that our priority hasn't been those who are who have responsibility, their priority. And that's the thing that hurts the most. Um, I, I was looking at one story, and it said that uh, state had somewhat of a billion-dollar surplus last year, and that when it came to... Jackson's request from the state, Jackson got zero. Yeah. Also, I also understand that Jackson sends more sales tax revenue to the state of Mississippi than any other city. So, you have a surplus, and one of the reasons you have a surplus is because of all the sales tax money that's coming from Jackson, plus the fact that for every dollar in taxes paid in Mississippi, four comes from the federal government. So, really, when you say that's not Mississippi's money, that's the federal government's money coming in. And so it gives off the impression that there is a deliberate attempt to starve your city. Uh, well, let, let me say this. First and foremost, Jackson is three times larger than the next largest city, right? 
So Jackson's contribution to the state is far and wide beyond, you know, in any municipality there. And in addition to that, uh, most capital cities in our country, because a good portion of the property in the city are state properties that you cannot tax, they get what you call payment in lieu of tax. It recognizes the hardship of being the capital city, right? The limitations over your financial growth because you're the capital city. We don't get that in Mississippi, right? We wow. don't get that, right? You know, it so, was. So you have a lot of land where you have buildings and offices and all kind of stuff that state that state property. So therefore, you got no shot at getting property taxes if businesses want to operate on the on that land. Absolutely, absolutely. And so also, in addition to not getting our equitable share of resources, uh, when we step in and fill in the gaps, when our residents who demonstrate shared sacrifices, we talked about uh, the infrastructure, the 1% uh, legislation or referendum that the, vote, the, the residents voted by over 90% in order to tax themselves. Hear that again. The residents voted over 90% to tax themselves. There is a commission that is largely approved by the state that determines where that money uh, gets to be appropriated and, and, and the master plan, or they, they have to approve the master plan over those dollars, right? And so they still leave this caveat that allows them to control. And so when it comes to things like, you know, not only do we have a drinking water, and a most, that, that being the most critical issue, we also have a wastewater challenge where, where wastewater is coming up in people's homes in their yards, and, and they have written in, in, in their bylaws, essentially, that we can't apply money to those issues, right? Uh, and, and it isn't enough money to, to deal with these challenges, but it was a start that the residents gave, where there's still control over that, right? There was legislation some years back called the CCID, which carved out state-owned property, carved out neighborhoods that I can't tell you why they're incorporated in it, right? that there is a special allocation of funds to their roads, to their infrastructure, uh, and there's supposed to be money that goes towards extra protection around public safety, right? And so when you look at the state and their response here, you have UMMC, which is the medical center that is owned by uh, University of Mississippi, and it's a state entity. Uh, while Jackson is dealing with water issues, they have a water tower, right? You look at the state fairgrounds, Right. While Jackson has a problem, they have created a well that services them for water so that they don't have to deal with those issues. Time and time again, we see the state create guardrails that protect them. Right. But don't protect the citizens of Jackson. And if, even if we said, hey, it's just about we have to protect our, our own assets, which is not a, a forgivable uh, uh, piece. Then what about Jackson State? Jackson State University is a state-owned entity. They don't have a well that is run by the state, right? Mm -hmm. And so these are the issues that, that come up time and time again. And so my fear is this, is that when our people are going through the most trauma, we don't want them to reach for a solution that actually puts them in a worse position than where they are. We've said free the land, clean the water, and make it public. We have to explain to people why it has to be made public. Because first and foremost, when you privatize the water, companies aren't coming in order to run that and invest in it because they have some benevolent purpose, right? 
They're, they don't they're, want a profit. Because profit. They're trying to get a profit. And the only way that they can make that profit is to raise the price on poor people who already have affordability challenges. Why don't we want the state to run it, right? Well, when we're talking about these issues of equity, when we're talking about these issues of not getting our fair share, then why would we trust the state to run it? Furthermore, the state doesn't have the capacity themselves because they don't have the personnel necessary to run Jackson's water treatment facility, which is probably the most complicated in the country, uh, but certainly the most complicated and complex in the state of Mississippi, right? So they're looking to get a third-party operations and maintenance group that they would contract out to work to operate and fill in those gaps. Jackson was already in a discussion about an operations and maintenance group that we could contract, not privatize, but contract that out. So if they're in the same discussions with the same company that we're in, then their, pur their purpose is not for it to function correctly because they recognize the same company that we recognize. Their purpose is to capture the revenue. Thirdly, mm -hmm. the last option that they have put out is the option of regionalizing, saying that you need more rate payers on the system in order to maintain it. Well, on the surface, it makes sense. But when you think about it in, in a little more critically, it entirely breaks down. So when Jackson was larger, of course you had more rate payers that could support the system and maintain it. As people moved out, that became a challenge. As we look at a regionalization model, what you have to understand is that when you bring in those other cities, yeah, you have more people that are paying to the system, but they depend on water in order to, to maintain their services, the revenue from water in order to maintain their services, just like Jackson does. And so you, you expand the perimeter of your responsibility. Now you have to take care of their pipes. Now you have to take care of their ditches. Now you have to take care of all of their infrastructure problems. And you're under a regionalized system where you have to, you have to believe that they're going to prioritize Jackson over these cities and communities that they continuously don't prioritize us over, that they don't give us our equitable share. And so I, I want to lift up right now. If I could ask the Poor People's Campaign to do anything right now, is to lift up these facts to understand the history of this struggle, and to understand what is taking place. The lieutenant governor met more than three years ago with a concession firm about my water system, right? About how he could maybe enter into an agreement where they would pay money to take over the system and that they would be able to take the profit. Why is the lieutenant governor having a meeting three years ago about Jackson's water system? Why aren't they meeting with the leadership for us to control that and to talk about what we felt was in our best interest. I'm hearing from state legislators who are passing those same narratives. We have people who are willing to push us into a private session, uh, or I'm sorry, a special session with the legislature just so that they could take over Jackson's water system. These are the things that have to be lifted up. These are the things that our people are crying out about. And yet we know in this country, you create a false narrative and then you even get people in trauma, which is really an ugly thing, to catch people in trauma. That's like putting somebody under, uh, you know, waterboarding them and then asking them to answer a question. You know, you put them under trauma. So in essence, Jackson is being waterboarded by yep. political processes and trying to make the citizen who just want the clean water make decisions, blame it on the current mayor, not tell the truth or things I'm, I'm hearing about what already could have been done. And we must say that it doesn't matter what 
color you are, if you are a political person in Mississippi, you should be standing with this man, the citizen. You should not buy into any of this foolishness about the privatization where you know on the back end what's going to happen is there are people that call for privatization in some way or another, they are going to benefit if you follow the money, either benefiting political contributions and all kinds of things. But you said these things may I want to lift up. Number one, and Roland pointed this out, I want to push a little deeper, Roland. Not only is it not Mississippi's money, it's Roland Martin's money. It's, it's, it's North Carolina's money. See, the federal tax dollars that come to Mississippi come from all over the country. Right. So people all over the country should understand your money that you're paying and putting into the federal government to, in fact, help a place like this is being held up by the state. It's not even that it's not their money. It's all of our money. Right. right. That's what a federal appropriation is. And then the, the next two things is to hear this stuff about carve-outs. Now, I had not even heard that. You're going to carve out a park. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the same state park that they locked people up in back in the 1960s. If I'm not mistaken, that's the same area over there. You're going to carve out water for a fairground, excuse me, not a park, a fairground, and carve out water for a hospital. I can get that. But then not for Jackson or, or just fix the system. And then thirdly, this business of wrapping some tape around, that's my analogy. And as soon as you can get the pressure up a little bit and get a little clean, you just, all the media goes away and you stop right. and quit the process of doing what needs to be done and fix the system. Now, y'all know I can't do it, Roland. I can't do it. But I really want to go to Nina Simone right now. But I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I I'm can't. I'm going to Mississippi goddamn. <laughs> My goodness. You know, I ain't got no come, come on. Well, well, it, it gets deeper than that, right? So, so this is the latest effort to siphon off resources from Jackson. Instead of applying things to Jackson, they siphon it off. When I met with the lieutenant governor, I think now uh, two years ago or better, on another legislative request for resources, it was asked of me for the rest of my team to leave. And in that, he, he said, listen, you know, there's a lawsuit that's going on right now where the state is trying to take over our airport and regionalize it, right? An airport that the residents of Jackson invested in, an airport which is a profitable institution. And so they wanted me to drop that lawsuit and give up our airport and say, well, maybe we'll give you somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million, right? My response to that is that I must be dumb and cheap, Right for us to give up an airport for $30 million, and that that has to be the impetus by which I could even talk about things like the infrastructure needs of water, right? And so I want my people to be very clear. Don't allow somebody, don't allow somebody to step up and act like you're, they're your savior now, right? Don't allow that, that wolf to come in sheep's clothing like they're trying to support us. When they tried to take our airport, there was an effort to take over our school district, right? And we were able to stop that. And now there's an effort to take over our water. None of this is coincidental. Right. None of it is coincidental. And so just people, just people understand, just like in Georgia, they have been trying, Republicans in the state have been trying to take the airport out of the hands of the city of Atlanta, knowing full well that is the greatest economic engine in the entire state. 
And so that's really what we're dealing with. And Barbara, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the nation, the nation's first black newspaper freedoms journal. I got the mural in, in, in our, my office. Uh, it was March 16, 1827. They said, we wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. And so the reason these points are critically important, uh, I had conservative, uh, you know, commentator, radio host, uh, Eric Erickson out of Atlanta. He goes, well, the reason, uh, Jackson has this problem is because, uh, they haven't been collecting, uh, the bills, uh, uh, collecting the payments from the folks in the city. And I replied back, I said, well, Eric, that's a lie. I got the mayor on my show right now. Why don't you book him on your show and talk to your conservative listeners and get the facts? Mayor, I doubt you probably heard of Eric Erickson's staff. I have not. So the reason black-owned media is important, the reason I'm fighting for more of the ad dollars, is because when they control the dominant airwaves, they get to set the narrative. And then people go, well, I saw so-and-so on, and they said this, 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 this. That's how this thing is played. And so, yeah, those facts are critically important. And what it also does is it forces these clueless mainstream media people actually have that shit and say, now, wait a minute, Mayor, did y'all ever take this? Did this meeting happen? Did this happen? That's what is needed because, yeah, they created the impression that Jackson, Mississippi's leadership is incompetent, they can't collect money, don't know how to take care of the water, and so they need a savior to come in to fix their problem, and I heard, yeah, I saw this privatization deal, and I've covered city government and county government and state government and whenever I hear privatization, Reverend Bob is absolutely right. That's a private company coming in to make a significant profit on the backs of what is supposed to be a, what government is supposed to be providing for its citizens, which you pay for. Absolutely. And many times if you check the back end of that company, somewhere you're going to find political support, political dollars, donations. And all kinds of stuff going yep. in, donations. Friends and families with contracts and all that kind of stuff. And Mayor, lastly, you know, we're going to get this piece done. We're coming because, like you said, it doesn't matter if tomorrow all the pressure was restored and the water was coming out perfect. That's not the fix. That's just the temporary piece. What yep. has to happen is is what you have, have called for. And I think also, Roland, you know, we've tried tonight to say, look, this whole mess started because of racism. But look, now it's poisoning black folk, white folk, white, look at the diversity here. And other outlets won't do that either, Roland. They won't many times show that the, the collateral damage. That's right. And this is a mayor of a southern American city that's trying to care for all of those people. And we know there's so many, uh, I don't, we don't even get into the dynamics of politics and demographics and what's going on in these cities in the South and why they're so in the problem. What we need to see is that this fight over Jackson's water is bigger than Jackson, but it must. The, the, it's about Jackson. It's about power. It's about resources. It's about life. It's about death. And I, I man, when I get there, or I may call you, I want to talk to you, if I don't even want to say it right now on this line, about another possible legal angle. Because I'm very serious about this business. And we've got people researching it within the poor people campaign, some of our folks. What do you do when policy produces death and you can actually prove it? It's mm. not just speculative. If policy murders, what do you do with that? And we're looking at the law in a lot of ways 
of how to get at that because it can't just be dismissed. Yeah. Somebody gets hurt, somebody gets sick, mm. stuff is not benign, and somebody dies. We already know, even with clean water, 700 poor people die every year, every every day in America for probably a quarter million people a year. But listen, we, our time is about out tonight because of the, what we planned. Danielle, thank you so much for bringing on these powerful families. We promise you that on the 26th, we're going to give them even greater platform and access. We're going to be calling on all the media to come because this is what's going to have to happen. They're going to have to see all of these folk and all their diversity standing together and refusing to be silent and refusing to back down. Why? Because they are the salt. And the Bible says, Elisha said, give me a bowl. Put fresh salt in it. He put the salt in the water and the water became clean. You all are the salt. The mayor is the salt. Roland Martin is the salt. Protest speaking out, standing up is the salt. And we're going to pour that salt in the waters of, in the, in the dirty waters of politics until the water of Jackson becomes clean. God bless all of you. Forward together and not one step back. And Reverend William Barber will have the last word on our coverage of the National Town Hall on the Jackson, Mississippi water crisis held virtually on December 12th and sponsored by the Poor People's Campaign. Around the same time as the town hall, water pressure was being restored to much of Jackson. And on Thursday, the state lifted a boil water notice. But Jackson officials said that those who are pregnant or are five years old or younger should use an NSF 53 filter or bottled water for drinking and cooking. Though it was not mentioned on the town hall, many in the audience posted comments in the chat complaining about Jackson and the general dilapidated state of vital infrastructure in the United States, while billions are sent overseas to fight a proxy war against Russia in Ukraine. And as Mississippi is embroiled in a scandal involving diverting welfare funds, attendant for the poorest people in one of the poorest states in this country to a volleyball complex boosted by former NFL quarterback Brett Favre. We'll keep following all of these stories. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network, on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Estra Averam, and our website and archive of all our shows is onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Patreon.com at On The Ground Show, all of which has a, have a protest sign with green lettering that says On The Ground. Or I also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Averum. The music we played this hour included an arrangement of the song Somebody's Hurting My Brother by Yara Allen, who performed at the National Town Hall on Jackson. And our theme music for the show is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averum. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of our audience. And a special thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who give us support and encouragement to continue producing the show. And if you also like the show, support the show, 
uh, rely on it for news and information, please go to our page on Patreon. Pat's P-A-T-R eon.com forward slash on the ground show and become a member for as little as $3 a month. You can give $3, $5, $10, $20, whatever you want to give that's listed there. You can give to support the show. We're coming to the end of the year and all of our donations are tax deductible and you can give on a monthly basis or all at once. If you don't want those withdrawals coming out of your account anyway. So thank you so much. All of our supporters, all of our listeners, Thank you for all your support.